Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the NFNL podcast. It is great to be recording once again. Now we are post-lockdown. It was brilliant to be back on the football field and netball court over the weekend, albeit in a, in a very different capacity. I'm Samuel Zito, joined by Jared Gardner and Nicholas Sacco. Guys, like I said, good to be out and about once again, out of the house, back in the recording studio, and it was good to have competition back in the NFNL. We were, I guess, always worried or in the back of the mind that uh, there might be a time during the season where we had to have a pause. Unfortunately, it happened. It meant that there was a a three-week layoff uh, in the competition. Thankfully, one of those weeks was Queen's birthday when we didn't have games scheduled as it was, but it was nice to to be able to have competition back at the weekend, albeit with uh, some uh, pretty heavy restrictions in place, meaning that uh, obviously there was limits on on people being at at football games and and from a netball front, only sections 9 to 13 being able to play be played because of the the lack of people we could have in in indoor uh, courts. But uh, having said that, just nice to have the competition resuming once again. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we we spoke about with Daniel Bramich on Saturday when we had the radio game. He he spoke about how great it was to be back in the traps and how, how important it was for not just him, but people around the club, whether they're players, coaches or volunteers, just to be in that environment and really enjoying it. And it just goes to show how vital local football and community sport can be for everybody in general. So um, the hiatus would have hurt a lot of people, but it was so good to see um, everyone back. Yeah, I think the same thing. And as you said, Daniel Bramich spoke so well about it on the weekend and um, yeah, just about what it meant to just be back, even if it was in the capacity that it was with limited crowds and limited people at the stadiums for netball and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it was it was something that we knew coming into the season was a possibility it, it, and it kind of... I don't, we never wanted it to happen, but if it could have happened at any time in the season, it was good that it happened in that um, in the period it did with a week off. We were going to have a week off anyway, basically. So, um, yeah, we'd never want to miss footy, but if there was any time it was going to happen, it was going to be this, these last couple of weeks. But good to be back. Some great games across all three football comp- or senior men's football competitions. Um, and it's, yeah, good run home. Looking, looking forward to it. Absolutely. So we'll start with uh, what went down in, in Meadows Greyhounds Division 1. And, Perhaps the biggest talking point was the game played at Yulong Reserve where Bandura, and we will speak with their coach Michael Ryan later in the program, they uh, produced a massive upset over Greensboro. It was fifth up against first. Of course, if you look back at the round seven game, which was the last time the sides played, uh, Bandura was defeated by Hurst Bridge at home. Greensboro romped to victory over North Heidelberg, winning by uh, close to 15 goals to take first spot on the ladder. So if you went on that, that form, and we understand there's a big break in between that round seven game and into this, this week's round 10 game, but I don't think there would have been too many that would have thought that a Bandura win by 10 goals was on the cards, but it is exactly what happened. And all of a sudden, the Bulls have uh, opened up a chance to finish perhaps in the top three and get a double chance. But uh, I guess the question we ask is, is that the best win they've had since the 2017 grand final? Well, it's definitely up there, and it's more because of the opposition they face. A team like Greensboro who have been flying not just this season, but in the last couple of seasons as well. Um, I think you said it, Jared, that they don't lose too many games, and they haven't in recent history. And, and we saw them against North Holderberg and how dominant they were. So... If you had told me that Bandura would have won by the margin they did, then I would have been very shocked. You have someone like Sam Lloyd and even John Jorgensen. They kicked nine goals between them. That that really went a big way to, to helping them get that result. But, I mean, Greensboro on the other end, very inaccurate. A five-goal 16 probably doesn't help their cause. So there's, there's disappointments around that, around that result, I'm sure, from the Greensboro point of view. Yeah, well, you're right. Five, 16, they, they finished for the day, Greensboro. Look at Bandura, pretty accurate, 16, 8. So there's only three more scoring shots for Bandura, yet the final margins. 58 points as you mentioned their their forward line uh, was able to hit the scoreboard prolifically with with Lloyd and Jorgensen kicking nine between them Lloyd had a a really good battle against Nick Riddle both named in their their side's best players and uh, and Hamish Shepard was dominant around the ground as well. So he was back in the lineup. Missed the previous two games for Bandura. He came back in and, and had a, a massive impact. And we know from a Bandura standpoint, they're pretty used to dominant Ruckman given that Matthew Dennis at the helm for the past 10 years. But uh, Shepard came in and they also brought in Tyler Young. So they probably would have felt that on paper, they uh, the additions they brought into the side were going to, to bolster them. Helped as well by Tom Bell not playing for, for Greensboro. But I still think at the same time, even though the, the, on paper things maybe evened up a bit for, for Bandura, I don't think anyone could have anticipated that they would win the, win by the, the margin they have. And what it has done, Jared, is it's made it very even when we look at the, the top five, top six on, on the ladder now where you've got 
West Preston Lakes, I just jumped clear. They're a game and, and percentage on top now as a, res, as a result of, of what happened over the weekend. Greensborough sits second with six wins and two losses. And then you look from third down to sixth, where you've got Heidelberg through to North Heidelberg. Five wins, three losses. Only percentage separates those sides. So suddenly... It's going to be a pretty dramatic race to the finish line. It is a shortened season now. It will be 16 rounds. So far, each club's played eight games. Which means, even though it's, it says the, the, we're going to round 11 this week, we've effectively played half of the home and away games, and you couldn't have it positioned any better with you know the, all those sides in, in, you know from third through the sixth fighting for a final spot. But there's also opportunities to finish top three and, and take a double chance into the final so what a what a second half of the year we have coming up yeah it's very exciting looking to the second half of this season and um yeah west preston uh, i think i think everyone everyone knows how good they've been obviously back-to-back premiers um but they're somewhat under the radar for me because i just didn't know whether they could keep it up and uh in this season but seven and one after eight games this season greensboro six and two hopefully this loss to bandura on the weekend is a bit of a kickstart for them going into the second half and they um can continue or get back to the form that they've had over the past couple of years and yeah that race from third to sixth it's it's going to give us some mouth-watering matchups in the second half of the year because um, a few eight-point games in there. And from a North Heidelberg standpoint, it's it's amazing. Um, they've lost the past too. It's, I mean, we talked about that game a few weeks ago where they actually beat Bandura and fell from first spot on the ladder to third just due to percentage, of course, behind at that stage, West Preston and Greensboro. Since then, have dropped two in a row. So they've now slipped from first, three matches ago to six it's it's amazing what um some results can do but at the same time they're you know they're knocking on the door of a, of a top three so they're, they're probably the perfect perfect case in point as to how even things are at that top end of the ladder mcleod is two games further back they've now jumped up to seventh they had uh, it was a great contest against North Heidelberg, it has to be said. Ended up finishing with an 11-point win. Suddenly, the Roos, after starting with four straight losses, have won three of the last four. The job becomes harder for them to, to push inside the five because of the shortened season, I think, for mine. I mean, they're doing the right thing by beating the sides that are in the five. They've beaten Montmorency when they, when they were there, North Heidelberg as well, who now have, have fallen out. But it's all you can do, but it becomes a harder task because of the fact they've got two less games to, to make up the gap. But... All of a sudden, Nick, they're, they're knocking on the door and, and asking the question once again as to whether they can be a finals contender. Absolutely. And that, that Greensboro game they have next week becomes all more important now because the Borough coming off the loss they've had, McLeod in good form. They'll take a lot of confidence out of that win against North Holderberg, no doubt. And if they can continue that little run and, and start to get themselves into a bit of a pattern and even coming close to, to pinching a result against a Greensboro, well, then they've got Northcote Park after that. They have a bit of a run going and, and all of a sudden you can't count them out at all for a finals. Yeah, well, they've got Northcote Park twice in the, the back half uh, of the year so of course the Cougars without a win to this point but for, for mine for McLeod that the big I mean they they would almost need to play more sides who are above them because it means that they're preventing those sides from actually getting a win too yep. so it's all well and good for them if they beat sides below them but if the sides that are currently in the five keep winning it doesn't bridge the gap so they've got uh, as you say Nick Greensboro this week play West Preston Lakeside in a couple of weeks they've also got Heidelberg Bandura and Mont so they play all the sides that are yeah, ab- above them, and including North, who they've already beaten now. So they could probably only afford to drop probably absolute max two of those, I think, mm-hmm. uh, against those sides in the top five to have any chance. And even that might not be enough. It might meet, need to be four or five wins f- from here against those sides. But they're putting themselves back in the equation. And it was a, a great finish at the weekend because... McLeod had a, a reasonable lead during the third term. We're close to it's the three goals in front. Actually, we're headed late in the game and, and kicked two goals in, in red time of the last quarter to win it through Paddy Martin and, and Hayden Manuel. And, and the, the Martin one was, was remarkable. It's a, a great play where North Heidelberg goes forward. They're, they're pressing to, to go a kick and a half in front. And then McEwen takes the intercept mark, plays on straight away. And the thumping kick goes from centre-half back to about 40 out from goal because it isn't the biggest ground at the Winton. And Martin Mark goes back, kicks a goal. It was an absorbing battle. And uh, McLeod gets the win. So I think it's safe to say it's a, a pretty big turnaround given when we saw those sides play in round one. North Heidelberg was, was really dominant in a, in a seven or eight goal win. So McLeod's been able to turn things around, although they do have a way to go to, to make up the gap between themselves and, and those sides on five and three at the moment. Northcote Park, they finished uh, only 26 points behind 
West Preston Lakes, which I think goes a long way to, again, uh, proving just how close this uh, Meadows Greyhounds Division 1 competition uh, continues to be. It's been this way for, for many a year. We t- still talk about the tales of you know, Whittlesey finishing second bottom and, and beating Bandura twice in a, in a premiership year for, for Bandura, but to think that only four goals separate the side that's bottom from the side that's top, it, it's, it says a lot about the competition, but from the Cougars' point of view, they're starting to get Better players back on the park. Lockie Boscarini played his first game at the weekend. Um, they, I believe Durago is back. McNeese is back in the lineup now. And Bronick Davies too. But all of a sudden, uh, four goals, obviously they need to be winning games to, to jump off the bottom of the ladder. But could this be the, the sign that they are starting to bridge the gap and, and perhaps wins are around the corner for the Cougars? I mean, there's definitely a possibility. And whenever you bring some of your better players back into the squad, it's always going to give you a chance to start winning a few games. I mean... Apart from an Armand Saad masterclass in that game, that he the seven goals he kicked on Saturday, they may have been even closer to getting a result in that one. So the, the signs are definitely there. The break may have actually been a benefit for them as well. Who knows um, in terms of the way they want to go about it. So I guess the next fortnight is a bit of an intriguing one for them to see if they can really step up and, and maybe just pick up a little bit of momentum heading into the rest of the year. Yeah, I think as, as it currently stands from a, from a Cougars point of view, obviously far from ideal given that their current situation is no wins and eight losses but they'll, uh, they've obviously got through West Preston Lakeside they've got North Heidelberg at the moment which we know North aren't in the best form certainly the Dogs will start hot favourite then they've got McLeod Whittlesey still to come Hurst Bridge and, and McLeod later in the year as well so they've um, some, got some sides that aren't currently in the five so there's winnable, winnable games there the Whittlesey game obviously is crucial given they're the side that's directly above them on the ladder but it's just starting to feel that, uh, looking on the weekend's performance, we know they haven't been a high-scoring side, but as you say, Nick, uh, aside from a, an Ahmed Saad masterclass, defended pretty well at, at the weekend. So whether things can turn, I guess time will tell. But at 0-8, things aren't completely hopeless for them if they can get within four goals of the side that's won the past two flags and now sits on top of the ladder with just one loss. Um, moving into MC Labor Division 2, and we saw a, a pretty interesting game. I, I think uh, right across the board, I think it's safe to say that we weren't expecting, or we were. Cert- what, one thing we probably were expecting was a, was a bit of scrappy footy over the weekend for the fact that players hadn't gone out into the park for, for close to a month. A couple of that with the fact that we had some heavy rain throughout the course of the week as well. And this, even though we had nice conditions on the Saturday, the grounds had probably taken the hit already with the deluge that uh, we saw throughout the course of last week. But Thomas Down. It was a vital win against Diamond Creek because they had to win to, to keep their top three chances alive. They did just that. It was uh, led by a, an opening couple of quarter masterclass from Michael Tang who kicked Thomas Town's first four goals. Could have probably been a fifth as well. He took mm-hmm. that mark, hurt his knees, he took the mark and then had to chip the ball away because he didn't have the distance in, uh, in his leg. We're hoping that uh, scans come back and are all okay for him. But from a ta- Thomas Town point of view, a, a win that was... You know, full of grit and determination, but certainly came at a cost. And I guess the question has to be asked, how much longer can you keep covering for star players? Because it just seems to be, at the moment, they're losing one of their, their better players every week they step out into the park. Yeah, it's it's really tough for Thomastown because yeah, we, we came into this season and they brought in Tyron Leonardis and, and Michael Tang and you kind of thought, oh, like they're going to really challenge for the Division 2 Premiership and they still could. We don't know what the extent of Tang's injury is and I think Leonardis is looking to come back in the next fortnight or so. Yeah, so. well, I think they're expecting both Leonardis and Capici probably to have uh, at least one of them back over the next two yep. weeks and, and potentially in, in three weeks' time to have them both back, which is a, yep. a big result because I know with the Capici one, I think... I think the, the early signs were that he wouldn't play again this year and Leonardis when he went down with that hamstring it, it probably looked it was like a similar diagnosis so um yeah, if they can have them back within the next three weeks and just hang on for the interim period, who knows what could happen going to finals. Yeah, yeah exactly. And just getting them back and just gelling them all together. I know they're, they're a good side. They were a good side at the start of the season when they had all those stars in the team. But if they can get them all together for a few games towards the end of the season and just get a good run into finals, um, they just kind of have to be there. And you kind of think they can beat anybody because they've just got so much talent on the list. Diamond Creek, I mean, the day we, we saw them as, as the worst that performed this year, just their second loss of the campaign. But... Uh, Pretty pretty scrappy from them. I guess it's one of those ones that uh, it's they'll have to just move on from that from that performance. They'll get some some key players back into the lineup. Michael Florence should be back shortly. Um, Nathan Searle, Jasper Watson didn't play at the weekend as well. Hugh Cavan has been uh, injury riddled. Just can't take a trick. He's first game back since round one when he had a significant hamstring injury. Only lasted about ten minutes on the weekend as well. So unfortunately, he's one that goes out. But I think from Diamond Creek. It's certainly a much better side than what they they probably produced throughout the opening three quarters on the weekend, where 
with five minutes to go in the third term, they don't keep the one goal. Exactly right. And, I mean, look, Diamond Creek have still had a great season to date. I mean, obviously a disappointing loss for them. They, they, Thomastown really broke their defensive structure as well, I felt, and, and that's been a benefit in Diamond Creek's side, um, side all year. So that's probably why they lost that one in particular. But, you, you know, you mentioned the missing uh, player in Michael Florence. I thought Josh Marchbank did a great job contesting in the ruck against Joel Carter for most of the day as well. So, you know, there's, there's still signs for them to improve. It's, it's just probably a little lull in their development. But... Um, you really can't count them out because I still feel like they've had a much improved year from the last two. And I guess they'll look at it and say, well, didn't play well and, and we're still within a kick and a half exactly uh, right. deep in the game as well. So it's pretty amazing the way the game played out. They only kicked, as we said, one goal to you know five, five or so minutes to go in the third term and uh, they'll right back in the game 10 minutes later. Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, it'd be interesting to see if they go to Nick Barrow a fair bit more in the, in the, last, in the second half of the season because that last quarter that he played, Wasn't they were going to him basically every time inside 50. He was clunking a heap of marks. If he wasn't, he was bringing it to ground for his other forwards. So he's hit a goal in every game he's played this season. So uh, he's a good young player, and it'd be interesting to see how they um, use him in the second half of the year. Yeah, they had uh, they had quite a few at the weekend who really showed plenty from a from a young front, and, and I think they've got uh, yeah a pretty bright future ahead. Down back, Joel Randall was was really good, and uh, uh, yeah, took a, a heap of uh, intercept marks and kicked a great goal too on the run as well, yeah. pushing forward. And, and obviously, he, we've mentioned him a couple of times throughout the course. Him, him and Matt Lewis were probably the best two players on the day, uh, both pretty young players. But as it stood, uh, no match for, for Thomas down and the Bears get an important win, which uh, certainly gets their campaign going again. Three straight wins. And uh, for mine, that's that's the biggest one of them. So uh, a good win there for, for Thomas Town at the weekend. Um, looking just a, f- a fraction further up the ladder, with Banyul, we talk about how how competitive the second division has been and you know, for the most part it had been six sides we thought squeezing into five and how's it all going to play out but Banyol just keep going about business with it feels a minimum of a fuss this time around I think they're all the rage in 2019 when they started the year with a, a similar win-loss ratio eight wins to, to start the campaign and um, you know, there was a lot uh, being said about them at that stage and, and you know, were they potentially unbeatable we know that uh, as the season played out Whittlesey managed to, to bridge the gap but, but this time around they've been Arguably more dominant. They're now top of the ladder, eight wins, a percentage of 215. And and at the weekend, they smashed the St. Mary side, which has been really good to this point of the season. A, a dominant victory away from home. It was a game that, uh, I guess, it's always going to be a danger game. It's probably not putting it fairly because St. Mary's had been right in the mix of, of a final spot across the opening half of the year. But for Banyol, going back to the ground, which saw them uh, beaten for the first time back in 2019 against St. Mary's, was it going to be a case of, of deja vu? But they um, yeah, put that to bed pretty early in the piece. It was a pretty dominant performance. Four goals up at quarter time and, and never looked like losing in a, in a pretty big win, winning 19-17, 131 There just seems to be such an even spread about this Banyol lineup, And at the moment, it doesn't appear to be any weaknesses in what they've been able to produce across the opening eight rounds. Yeah, they've been outstanding, Banyol, and I mean, they have probably flown a little bit under the radar. We we weren't really sure what we were going to expect of them coming into the season, but you just talk about some of the players that they've had in this team that have, that have really stood up, like Nicholas Grabowski has been outstanding for Banyol. He's probably been the pick as well for mine, but, you know, they've had... Con- players continue to improve. I mean, if you look at the at the game on Saturday, you know, Della Rocker got coaches' votes. You've got Blackmore Moore who's putting together a good few He's weeks. He's having as well. a, a huge couple of uh, weeks. Yeah. I know it's separated by a, a break in, in play, but uh, he, he's in dominant form and yeah. one of the, the key recruits they had two years ago and he's he's for mine taking his game a further level this year. Exactly. And and Banyu were one of those teams that have lost a heap of personnel as well coming into the twenty twenty one season. So that's where a lot of the questions and marks were. But does to start eight and in such an even competition and, and really playing well against sides that have been pushing for premierships in this division for so long. Um, I've been super impressed with their performances. It's a star-studded side, but they get contribution from the majority a- across yeah. the board as well. So I think that's what probably makes them just so hard to break down because even at the weekend, I mean, you know, Brent Stanton's not available on, on coaching duties and Renee Goody's been... I mean, we talk about another star, but Riley Lighton comes in you know, always a star player when he plays. Um, you know, Tim Martin's having a great year. We talk about Jack Langford regularly on, on the podcast as well. But they, we're talking about the players right in that top echelon of uh, of players in, in MC Labor Division 2. And when you look at some of the youngsters that we've, we've just talked about as well, and, and Della Rock is one who's really emerging. They've got um, Mickey Edwards back in the lineup this year. Down back, Bisconton's come back in from a, a year aboard uh, abroad rather playing cricket and, and just slotted back into that defensive role which he was a, a team of the year fullback uh, the year before going away so 
yeah, it doesn't seem to be any any sign of weakness to that side. I guess their main concern would now be maintaining this because they're getting pretty close to to at the very least locking away a double chance in the finals. But they're going to take um, you know it's going to take some work to to get them off first place uh, on the ladder. But of course for them, it's always going to be a case of. Uh, what happens in the finals for this year as to how we how we assess their season? Yeah, for mine, it, they they look more dominant than what they did in in 2019 because in 2019, towards the second half of the season, as you said, it was St Mary's that gave them their first loss, and that was midway through the year, and then they dropped a game to Diamond Creek, and then one to Whittlesea later in the season. So there was there was kind of holes forming going into finals, and Whittlesea hit their straps going into finals and ended up winning the premiership. But this, as you said, the the talent in this Banyul side, they're a, they're a team that could hold their own in Division 1 right now. Like, they, they could be in Division 1, be a mid-table team. They could even be in that fight for final spots. They've just got so much talent across the board and so many players who have had Division 1 experience before. So um, I'm excited to see what happens in the second half of the year. And the, for, for me, there's just no one that can catch them at the moment. Yeah, so they are starting to uh, to put a gap. Lower Plenty is maybe the one that's hanging in there with them, given their, their one game off. But but Banyol just starting now. Some of the, the, the size of their victory against good sides is, uh, yeah, they're really starting to, to make a statement. Looking at the other end of the ladder, down the bottom, and Watsonia had a really important win over Panton Hill. It was a two-goal victory. It means now that the Saints have moved up to seventh spot, two games clear of the bottom place Fitzroy Stars. And for the Stars, we're usually talking about them as a side playing finals or pushing for a spot previously the top four, of course now the top five. But uh, as it currently stands now for Fitzroy Stars, they had another huge loss at the weekend against Altham where they only kicked the two goals. I don't think anyone really gave them a chance of winning that one. But just given the size of that uh, that loss and with Watsonia now getting another victory, they and Panton Hill at two wins. Epping's the only side at the moment that it looks like that the Fitzroy Stars might be able of, of catching. It's, it's starting to get worrying for the Stars. Bottom of the table with a, a pretty uh, meek percentage and with, uh, you know, as we said, the Saints and, and the Redbacks now two games clear of them. Do we feel like it's a case that if Fitzroy Stars' only way of avoiding relegation is if they can leapfrog Epping on the ladder? Yeah, it really might be. And it's unfortunate to see because the Fitzroy Stars have been someone a team that's been so dominant in this division in the last couple of years and, and they've really t- taken it up only making a grand final a few years ago from memory but um, yeah it, it's going to be tough for them to even win a few games let alone the fact that they've got Epping coming um, up I mean I'm not sure exactly when they played them but that, that yeah. might be the one where they, they really try and hit their straps yeah, they've well, got they, they, were meant, they were due to play when the, the first week when the, the competition uh, unfortunately was, was cancelled so uh, missed that opportunity against Epping but their, their issue now might well be that they're obviously hoping that Epping don't win any further games and a win that if they when they when they meet each other might be enough but just with their percentage stands as well it's probably looking at they might have to win two games so that's that's probably what one of the real worries for the stars certainly a long way to go in the campaign we are only halfway through but just looking at uh, the recent per- performances for the stars and the margins seem to be uh, getting greater rather than smaller so they've certainly got their work cut out to to minimize uh, minim- or you know reduce that gap so uh, all of a sudden now, it's um, with yeah, what's only getting that win. It's uh, made life harder, harder for them, and we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see what what comes of of the next couple of months. But um, the stars potentially, as it currently stands, steering at uh, falling out of second division for the first time since joining or rejoining the competition back in two thousand and seven. Um, if we look at the competition. Actually, before we, we move on to Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3, just a few other notable points. Um, it's good to see Cam Elmore kick five goals. It was his 200th club game for, for Lowell Plenty. So, milestone game, push forward. We've seen him play uh, predominantly down back in, in recent times. We know, of course, he's been a, a stalwart for, for the Lowell Plenty Football Club and also um, a, a member of the NFNL rep side a few years ago. He was actually best on ground in one of the losses we had against the Mornington Peninsula and the PN League. So um, a highly credentialed player, so great for him to, to reach that milestone and, and certainly have a, a big impact in the game. And also Mitch Merkel, um, first game for Pantanil. It's one way to endear yourself to the fans, <laughs> kick five goals. Uh, I know your side didn't get the win, but a pretty handy acquisition for, for Pantanil to get Merkel across from Greensboro. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's, he's an incredibly talented player, and as you said, played with Greensboro and has played at such a high level. And, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great to see him at Pantanil. And as you said, a, a good way to endear yourself to the fans. And 
um, yeah, five goals in debut, great stuff. It was uh, we're talking about uh, match winning goals when we talked about McLeod, but uh, there was a good one in the Watsonia game as well. If you look at Kyle Wheatley's goal late in the piece, um, side six points up, obviously hanging in the balance and deep into the game, uh, a nice snap uh, over the shoulder to, to win the game as well. So that was a really even contest, and uh, uh, one of the Watsonia yeah, youngsters rather stepping up to uh, to kick this sealer. Uh, we push on to Heidelberg Golf Club Division Three. Um, South Morang just keeps winning games of football. We talked about Banyul as how dominant they've been, and, and South Morang's much the same. So uh, I think uh, most people would assume that at the very least they're going to secure one of the top two spots on the ladder. Lorimer went uh, a long way to, to boosting their chances on the weekend of also finishing top two with their win over Heidelberg West. It means the Power and Kilmore at the moment uh, are equal on points with, with Kilmore currently second on percentage, but for Lorimer, that was a, a really vital win against Heidelberg West at the weekend. Reversed their result from when they played previously at Heidelberg Park. This time around, Lorimer by 41 points at home. So all of a sudden, um, it looks like it's... I mean, there's still plenty of plenty of the season to be played out, but for, for Lorimer and, and Kilmore, they took giant steps to... You know, getting that, that, that little bit closer to a top two spot come season's end. And it was really important for those two sides to get those wins and, and just really give themselves that opportunity because, you know, you're right, South Morang have been very dominant in this competition so far and, and they're going to be hard to catch. So the next step about that is trying to secure that top two place, getting the second chance because that's proven to be vital in these divisions in the last few years yeah, as well. Yeah, to win a premiership. I think uh, I can't think of anyone who's come from outside the top two mm. to, to win a flag off the, the top of my head. It's, um, sides have made grand finals, don't get me wrong. We saw it with South Morang a couple of years ago prior to the COVID uh, impacted season but it's uh, making it's one thing winning it's a complete other and as we've seen that competition history shows you have to finish top two so it's a Kilmore's percentage at the moment they're six and two 196 Lorimer also six and two percentage of 173 so going to be important when those sides play again and remembering when they played back in round one when Lorimer came from behind one by less than a kick that result back in round one might be the one potentially at the end of the year that determines a top two spot, although I'm sure from a Heidelberg West perspective, they think they're right in the hunt as well. They're in four spot, five wins, three losses. Although for the Hawks, while they still have high hopes of finishing top two, they've also got an old Altham Collegiate side that's breathing down their neck now. They're only a win and 21% behind currently in fifth spot. Looking ahead to this weekend, old Altham is at home to Reservoir, Meanwhile, Heidelberg West is at home to Kilmore. So potentially, if Old Altham wins that game and Heidelberg West loses, it's just percentage that separates those two sides. So for Old Altham at the weekend, they were down at three-quarter time, booted five goals to zero against Mernda in the last quarter. It's arguably the, the most important quarter of footy they've had since, since joining our league two years ago because it, staring down the barrel of potentially an upset loss, find a way and uh, all of a sudden now finals are well and truly on the agenda if they're good enough. Yeah, definitely. It's it's great to see and as you said, it, it is their most important quarter since joining the competition and um, it would be great to see them playing finals and they'll look at this Reservoir game coming up and say, well, we don't want to get complacent but we, and we just need to put the foot down and get a bit of a percentage because 104 uh, 0.8% after eight games doesn't look too great, but if they can boost that a little bit in on the weekend, it'll, it'll go a long way to getting them a final spot. Yeah, it's, well, suddenly just having that condensed season just makes every game feel that that bit more important. And I mean, I yeah, I don't like to ever compare you know Australian sports to to American sports, but I guess one of the when you look at the, the American football when you play a, a shorter season, it, they always say that every game means more. You can't afford to to drop okay. it. Whereas in the AFL, when you have a 22 game season, you feel like that. You never want to lose, but you can maybe make up for one. But yeah, well, all of a sudden now, when we're getting down to, to 16 home and away games, you, you just can't afford to to drop one. And uh, from a from a old Altham perspective, now this weekend is massive when they come up against Reservoir because they can potentially push within a percentage of the top four. Um, of course, that would rely on Heidelberg West losing, which should be a really good game. Them them against Kilmore, they'd have a point to prove as well because they were soundly beaten by the Blues the last time they met. So uh, they feel like they have to to reverse that this time around. From a women's football point of view, um, talking about come from behind wins, VU Western Spurs uh, trailed at three-quarter time, came back to defeat Darabin. They've now moved into second spot on the Mervac Division 1 women's ladder. So as it stands, they'll uh, take on Diamond Creek women's this weekend and it might have a bit of a finals feel about them. Those two sides are 
starting to develop a real rivalry. We saw them play in the grand final last year, uh, 2019, last season, I should say, and the Spurs, of course, we know, won that and went through the season undefeated. Diamond Creek women's is the side that's now taken that uh, that stronghold as the, the dominant side. They're, they're top of the ladder, had a, a big win over Montmorency on the weekend as well, but always exciting when you get a, a first versus second battle, and that's what we'll see this weekend when uh, the Western Spurs take on Diamond Creek women's. Um, and other action that was played across the, the women's competition, Greensboro's really starting to, to make strides in, in the top flight. They had a, a big win over Lower Plenty, and it's, it's great to see a side that's gone from third place, uh, sorry, playing third division football in their most recent season, albeit winning the Premiership, now come up and, and really have an impact in, in Division 1. And, and for, for Greensboro as a football club, all their, their teams, I know that their, their men's had a loss on the weekend, but uh, they're all having really good campaigns. And, and at the top end of the ladder, and the women's are certainly uh, giving their, their absolute best in that, that top flight competition in the women's. Yeah, they were incredibly impressive in that Division 3 grand final a, a couple of years ago now, back in 2019. It was uh, coming up against, it was against VU Western Spurs, the third side at the time. And um, yeah, they, they, they put in a really great performance and um, and won that one, and it's good to see them back up and well, coming up into Division 1 and really challenging some of the, the top sides. Absolutely, and uh, as we looked uh, through the list, the second division of the uh, women's has, has produced a lot of the, the closest games so far this year. It's uh, pretty evenly poised, and uh, at the weekend there was another one between Diamond Creek women's and Hurstbridge, which might go a long way to determining uh, a top two spot in that competition. Diamond Creek women's getting the win, and in the uh, third division, Dom- uh, Mervac Division 3 women's, Fitzroy Stars continuing on their win way so both they and Banyul uh, two of the new teams to our competition obviously finding their, their feet in uh, in the lowest grade there but they're uh, all of a sudden developed a, a pretty handy gap towards the, the top of the table as well so looking ahead to, to finals I know we're st- it feels like we're away away but now with a shortened season yep. it's only a, about a, a tick over a month away so the Stars and Banyul two of the newer sides are continuing uh, on winning in their winning ways and uh, Banyul having a, a percentage boosting uh, victory over the weekend and, and the Stars will they continue their winning run with a, a win over Mernda which uh, yeah, takes them that, that one step closer to, to finishing in the, yeah, the top three and, and taking a double chance into the final. So uh, that's a look at the, the women's football front. Uh, in the netball competition on Friday, it was it was great to have the competition back. As I said, having section 9 to 13, it was disappointing that, that all competitions couldn't be played. Uh, that was obviously due to... We talked about the, the restrictions being tight around the football competitions. Netball in our league, uh, unfortunately, has it tougher being an indoor competition. It makes it even harder with, with that, the restriction on numbers and having only 50 indoor, which is a real challenge. Been, uh, for example, at La Trobe University, we got six courts and 50 people one time means you can only use two of, of six courts which is a obviously a shame it means that uh, unfortunately spectators can't be in the the arena either but it means that there's obviously fewer uh, games that can actually be played so uh, as was announced last week as it stood sections 9 to, to 13 um, were the only ones that w- would play it meant that uh, between Latrobe University and, and also RMIT University we could get, get enough court space to play all the games through sections 9 to 13 sections 1 to 6 um, the game's will still be able to be made up because there was a split round scheduled uh, later in the season during the the school holidays. Um, That will now be merged into one and and on that spare week we can obviously make up the games that were missed last Friday night but um, and then unfortunately for section seven and eight it just has to be a cancelled round as there isn't going to be enough time to be able to to play or replay those games in a in a pretty tight schedule going from here to the finals as well so I think everyone has their fingers and toes crossed we're obviously recording this very early in the week and um, very hopeful that uh, the restrictions are eased given uh, thankfully that the number of new COVID cases you know, is is so minimal now, and as is the active cases. But you can never be hundred percent sure until we we hear the announcements firsthand from uh, from the government. But um, fingers crossed that uh, this week we can get back to a full complement of games, and that the netball competition can um, run uh, uninterrupted from from here on on forward. But as I say, it is a, a tougher one, which is with the the indoor facilities as well. So I guess that the one thing is that all we can do is is be patient now, and uh, and for, for all the clubs, I know that thankfully they can be training on, on outdoor courts um, and be ready to go once once competition resumes but uh, we'll keep our fingers and toes crossed but uh, as it stands we're very confident going into this weekend but until you you get that yeah. green light uh, you're never really across the line are we 
Yeah, I think it's, it's almost not until you're on the court yourself or on the footy field yourself, you're not 100% confident of yeah. what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, it was great to see everyone back in, in the capacity available on the weekend and hopefully see a few more on the netball court this weekend and, and some crowds at the footy on um, on Saturday and Sunday. So we'll uh, we'll obviously keep the, everyone posted through um, the NFNL website and social media channels as well. And obviously that uh, information, as we know, comes first hand from, from the government. So uh, it'll be announced uh, during the course of this week. So... We'll keep our fingers crossed for a positive result there. Um, one of the, the great things across the, the course of the weekend was, was the amount of clubs who supported the Socket 2 M&D round, of course, uh, in support of Fight M&D. It's been great the way that the local sporting community has really embraced that round um, you, know, in, in, you know, in conjunction with AFL Victoria and, and Netball Victoria as well. Obviously such a, an important cause. And we've seen the beanies, the big freeze beanies that uh, have become a... Well, really iconic, it has to be said, around yeah. um, you know, even major sporting events, obviously in conjunction with the, the big uh, free slide that takes place on Queen's birthday between Collingwood and Melbourne. And um, you know, it's great to just even just walk the street and see so many people wearing the, the big freeze beanies and for so many clubs at the weekend to support the cause by wearing the, the big freeze socks as well. Um, both on the, the netball court and also the football field as well. So I think it's one of the great things that, that community sport does is, is get behind, um, you know, charities and, and organisations like Fight M&D to find a cure to to uh, to you know, to beat this the beast so to speak and at least to, to be able to to support those who are uh, suffering unfortunately with with uh, MND as well to to be able to find new technology to assist their their way of living as well and um, great to see you know not just in our league as well but right throughout the the Victorian community the amount of uh, grassroots clubs who have supported the cause and this weekend it's uh, also just as important uh, for us because we had to reschedule the Pat Cronin Foundation round due to the games that were cancelled back uh, going on close to a month now but um, this weekend the games being played right across the league in support of the Pat Cronin Foundation. So um, we'll be having a chat later in this uh, broadcast as well to the director of the Pat Cronin Foundation, Matt Cronin, uh, just about the importance of the round and, and some of the initiatives that will be in place and I guess just some of the messaging that uh, we want to get out to the wider community as well. But um, it is, I think for mine, uh, one of the great things that, that local sport does is getting behind these uh, these organisations and charities and uh, we've got uh, a lot of theme rounds coming up now because a couple have had to be yeah. postponed into the back half of the year but uh, I guess it's uh, the greater meaning than just what happens on the field as well but uh, the ability to be able to support and and really spread the message for, for some of these causes is uh, is one of the important things as well about uh, any community organisation. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's just so great to see the communities really get involved and the Pat Cronin and Pat Cronin Foundation in particular is, is one that's so important to this league, obviously having some close connections there as well. So um, it, it's a great initiative that's been set up by the league and, and to see all the clubs get around it. And, you know, you speak about the beanies for the 3s MND, but, you know, even the wristbands for the Pat Cronin Foundation yeah. and, and all of those types of um, setups that help that support all those charities and foundations it's such a great thing and it's always a privilege to be a part of every year absolutely so we'll talk to matt cronin in a few moments time beforehand we are going to catch up with the coach of bandura's senior men's football team michael ryan his side well in our eyes producing arguably their best win since the 2017 grand final in a 58 point win over greensborough We'll catch up with Michael to see what he, he thought of his side's dominant win, which propelled him further up the Meadows Greyhounds Division 1 ladder. Michael, obviously it was great to be back on the park on the weekend, and I guess for your club, uh, even more sweet when you walk off the field with a 58-point win against the side that was first on the ladder going in. What did you make of that performance? Yeah, nah, firstly, it was just good to uh, be back playing football. I think the boys definitely missed it, that connection with one another the past sort of three weeks. So even before we played, we spoke about how important it is just being back on the field together, playing with one another, and to be able to come away with a, a win against a really strong side and a team that we respect highly, like Greensboro, is uh, yeah, really good for the boys and the confidence they'll take out of it as well going forward, I think will be invaluable for the back half of the year. Uh, the season as it stands, we, we, you know, you've come back into the Bandura fold. Obviously, you played there, a premiership player, and, and now coming in to, to coach. They, they come off you know, a, a, a year where they miss finals for the first time in, in two decades. But um, you know, how, how have you, you seen the season prior to the break where you get to, to round seven, you're in the uh, you're in the top five, but uh, how, how have you seen the way the club's been able to respond after their most disappointing year in, in probably 20 years? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing I noticed when sort of coming back and taking the job at the end of 2019 was probably how uh, disappointed the group were for the performance of that season. And um, 
it's a pretty it's a very proud club sort of from top down and I suppose the leaders Nipper Marshall um, Luke Collins Brendan Carline those sort of guys Nace Thomas they sort of they were so disappointed in what had occurred in the 2019 season and we're sort of pretty passionate for it not to happen again so um, we probably caught up as a club and worked out what sort of direction we wanted to go down and what we needed to do um, and we sort of profiled the list as well and sort of where it was at and we probably identified we needed to get some youth into it which we were able to do over the back end of 2019 and then in turn obviously a COVID year in 2020 but all those guys stayed and I think we've been able to reap the benefits of it so far this year I know we've had a couple of disappointing losses as well um, but at the same time it's such an even competition as well um, I think if you say you're disappointed when you lose to Hurstbridge or North Heidelberg it's also doing them a disrespect too because of the fact that it's such an even competition How did you, you find the I guess three week break that we had obviously disappointing for everyone that after what had been a really promising start to the year we have to go into lockdown and it's more than you know just from a, a community sport point of view but uh, I guess uh, right, right throughout uh, for those who, who manage businesses and whatnot, it's obviously a, a very trying time but uh, how did you how did you manage to stay connected with the, the playing group to ensure that that good start to, to the year that you had wasn't wasted and uh, and to keep the, the guys engaged so that when the time came and they had to go back onto the field, they were ready to go from that first bounce? Yeah, I suppose we had a little bit of a dress rehearsal in 2020, didn't we, in terms of um, sort of having to go through all the different sort of various platforms to work out how to keep the groups engaged through obviously the players' Facebook page, WhatsApp and those sort of things. So as soon as we... Uh, knew that we were going to at least have one week off football. Dave Butterfant, who's obviously jumped on board with us, he's been huge. He uh, set up a SNC program for the sort of the three training periods that we knew we were going to miss, the Tuesday, Thursday, plus the Saturday match day. And then from there, um, we sort of challenged the boys to make sure they ticked it off in partners. And then to, just for compliance, upload their photo or upload an image of their, what they've achieved or ticked off just so that way I suppose to send the message to the rest of the playing group everyone was doing the job and um, making sure they were keeping their conditioning high plus their touch and to the boys credit they were fully compliant as well and uh, I think it did show on Saturday we did come out in really good nick and you could tell the boys had put the work in so that was great. Obviously very rewarding to, to get any win, but when it's against a side that's been as dominant as, as Greensboro's been for, I guess, on field for the past 18 months or so, does it make it even more sweet given the fact that you've come off uh, a really you know, interrupted period of, of three weeks coming up against one of the benchmark sides and then produce um, what, what many are probably considering the club's best win since probably winning the grand final in, in 2017? Yeah, very much so. For me, the biggest thing for the group to take out of it as well is just the confidence, knowing that, when we play our brand of football and we have a b- belief in one another that we can, anything's achievable and we don't put a ceiling on what we can do. So when you play a class club like Greensboro on Saturday and you win like you do, um, you just take a lot of confidence out of it going forward and you can draw on those situations in times when you may need to throughout the rest of the 2021 season and beyond. I guess we, we talk about the, the break as, uh, in, in, in negative uh, terms normally, but there's also some positives. And, and when I saw you line up on Friday and, and you get amongst the in column, uh, Hamish Shepherd, Brent Marshall, Tyler Young, Brendan Carline, obviously gave an opportunity for, for players who've been missing football to, to get their, their body right again and, uh, and get back out there. But obviously to have player of, of that, that calibre coming into the lineup was always going to be beneficial. Yeah, we always knew Hamish Shepherd. He was probably going to be right... The uh, Montmorency game, we thought he was going to be okay. So, if anything, that sort of three weeks just topped him off a little bit more to be able to get his body right. Um, and same with Nipper. Um, he, he and Brendo Carline's path was going to be a little bit different where we thought they might play sort of a half in the reserves against McLeod or Montmorency and then um, come into the senior fold. But at the same time, I suppose we thought straight after the break, how long do you keep kicking the can down the road for when you've got class players like this at your... Um, peril so yeah we're able to get them back in and they all contributed really well and I think it was a bonus having the 23rd man on the weekend we're able to sort of rotate five guys through the interchange too 
which helped with their loads and stuff just to make sure we didn't rinse them too much. Obviously, Hamish Shepherd and uh, and Sam Lloyd have been two massive in- inclusions to the club for, for this season and both were pretty pretty outstanding on the weekend as well. Can you just give us an insight into, I guess, the uh, the impact they've had on the playing group, given, obviously, in Sam's case, a player who's got plenty of AFL experience. Hamish has been on an AFL list as well, but how important they've been for, I guess, the on-field success of the side, but also what they can bring off the field to the young younger playing group. Yeah, no, both of the boys have been huge. I mean, as soon as Hamish jumped on at the end of 2019, he sort of... Uh, got really invested in the club and got invested in the group and sort of one of the most popular fellas at the club straight away and uh he genuinely loves the place so it makes it pretty easy you're not trying to have a have to fabricate um a player club relationship and as soon as he's jumped on board he's been huge for us and there's no secret why when he plays we seem to have seem seem to be able to win games of football um and then with sam as well obviously sort of play top level for so long for as long as what he did and he's been able to come back and he's been huge as well for the club off the field he's brought right in I mean the supporters love him committee and everybody loves him he's just so relaxed and easy going and he understands local football it probably helps I think getting drafted as a mature age footballer added to Niliquin early on he sort of gets the local club feel and the atmosphere and the vibe so he's been huge for us and obviously on field he's been able to um, back up his reputation but off field as well he's been huge he sort of makes a real effort to get around um, Jesse King and John Jorgensen, Jacob Maines and these sort of boys and I think it's helping their football growth too so yeah we've been very fortunate with that too and then Jackson Davies is probably the other one that Jacko has been huge for us it's uh I know he's only a young kid but at the same time he's been um, a really good get for the club too going forward and we've probably seen more of him than what we thought we would have but at the same time, his attitude and the way he plays his football has been great for the group too. The competition's really evenly poised now. We're officially, I guess, the halfway mark. Everyone's played eight games. It's now down to a 16-round home-and-away competition. You're currently in, in fourth spot, uh, five wins, three losses, one of four sides with that win-loss ratio. Every game probably needs that, that little bit more now, given the fact that we've got two less games to, to be played in the home and away season before finals. And when you look at the fact that there's a side with a, a five and three record in North Heidelberg that's not in the top five, it just goes to show how important every game is going to be between now and, and that uh, that final round of the season. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what we're discussing off air, who would have thought 10 wins is going to, 10 wins in a 16 round season would guarantee finals in the past. I probably, in an 18 round season, it would have guaranteed finals, but I think you're going to definitely have to win 10 games now to be able to bank a, guarantee a finals position. So with only uh, eight weeks to go, we understand you've got to make sure you make every post a winner to be able to get yourself a final spot. And then from there, anything can happen, I suppose. And this weekend for, for your club, I believe it's a, a trip to Whittlesea, if I'm, if I'm right. And uh, it's been a ground that I know you had a, a win against the Eagles early in the year at home, but the uh, the showgrounds themselves haven't been the uh, the friendliest ground for, for Bandura over the, the recent journey as well. It's obviously a game where you just cannot afford to, to go in with any complacency because it's been a ground that hasn't uh, brought too much joy in the past. Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, full credit to Blair and what he's been able to do at Whittlesea with a young group, won the winner premiership with a uh, super young list and then go up to first division with pretty much the same list and still be very competitive most weeks. Um, by no means are we going to the game complacent or relaxed whatsoever. Um, and also, whilst we understand our record hasn't been great up there, I think this is a different group too. So these boys probably don't carry the scars or any of the baggage some of the boys might have in the past too. So we're looking forward to the challenge on the weekend and we know it's going to be a really tough game but at the same time we're confident that if we can play our best brand of football hopefully it'll stack up and yeah, get us the win Well uh, Michael again uh, congratulations on, on Saturday's win it was great to have uh, footy and, and netball back in our league and uh, and for, you, for your club's sake to, to get a win like that I'm sure was a, a really big thing going into the second half of the campaign so uh, best of luck this weekend and for the remainder of the campaign and, and thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the podcast No worries, all the best, thanks mate At La Trobe University, you'll learn lessons that last your entire professional life. You'll be inspired by thought leaders, change makers and brilliant minds. Teachers who are mentors too. Learn from experts, then become one. Learn the rules, then how to remake them. Discover your path to success and find your dream course at latrobe.edu.au. La Trobe University. All kinds of clever. 
Now joining us on the NFNL podcast is Matt Cronin, director of the Pat Cronin Foundation, which this weekend we will be supporting across the NFNL round, which will be the 2021 Pat Cronin Foundation round. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Obviously, it's a, it's a big weekend on the NFNL calendar and also for the Pat Cronin Foundation. Can you just give us an, an insight into what uh, this weekend will entail uh, from the point of view of, of the Pat Cronin Foundation? Yeah, thanks, Samuel. Uh, thanks for having us on. And, uh, you know, again, once once again, just thanks to the NFNL for the, the support and all the club support we've had over the last five years. Uh, you know, very early uh, after Pat was killed, the Northern Footy League at the time uh, came, came on board and, and really wrapped their arms around our family and our footy club, you know, our footy clubs, I should say, you know, both the Lower Plenty Footy Club uh, where Pat was playing seniors, but also the Research Junior Footy Club where Pat played so many games at junior footy as well. So, it's, look, it's been a, a, a bit of a signature event for us to have this week and, you know, of course, last last year we didn't get to play any footy so we missed the opportunity to have the round but, you know, really looking forward to, to this weekend as an opportunity for us to think about, you know, how uh, violence and aggression can, you know, come out so, so wrong and, you know, the, the most extreme outcome, of course, with what, you know, happened with Pat. But, um, you know, it, this weekend is really about honouring Pat but, but also sending a message out there to say, look, as, a, as, a, as clubs, as a league, we just don't stand for violence in any way. You mentioned from the outset there that this year marks the, the five-year anniversary. Obviously, it's um, you know, a devastating time to, to reflect back, but, but also from, from a foundation point of view, just how far you, you've been able to come in, in that five years to, to get to the, the point where you are now. And um, Can you just give us a, a bit of a, um, an update into how the, the, the foundation's tracking um, post-COVID? Yeah, look, it's it's been a, a, a really hectic and busy year for us. Uh, from a uh, really really happy to say that you know over the journey we've we've built up uh, a, a fair bit of money in the kitty through fundraising and some government grants. And earlier this year, the state government came on board and have given us some uh, support financially, which has been great. It's allowed us to set our targets, you know, fairly high in terms of the number of presentations that we plan to do. So, you know, our, our bread and butter, I guess, is really presenting, particularly at secondary schools. But, you know, a heartland for us has always been club land and really making sure that we get the message out there to sporting clubs right across Melbourne and Victoria. So, we, you know, we, I think one of the big things that we decided to do through COVID is to say, you know what, uh, we, we, let's remove this barrier from clubs being able to afford to have the Pat Cronin Foundation come and do a presentation. So really, really happy to say that every presentation that we do through the Northern Footy League and and other leagues for that matter are all fully funded. So there's absolutely no cost for the club. So it's, uh, you know, it becomes really very much a no-brainer, a case of finding a night that's suitable. We've got seven presenters who can come out and, and deliver a presentation to the club and every club that we've been to, every school we go to, you know, we get the same feedback is to say this is a must-see presentation. If, uh, if there's clubs out there listening in, how do they go about booking a presentation to, to have you, you come out and, uh, and give that to their playing group? Yeah, look, um, probably the easiest thing is just send us an email, which is info at patcronenfoundation.org.au. If people can't remember that, just go to our website, Pat Cronin Foundation and uh, they'll, they'll find uh, a link there to send us an inquiry, um, send us a message on Facebook, send us a smoke signal. You know, we'll, we'll get there one way or the other. Obviously, that's, uh, that's as you say, one of the, the key priorities, but also like, just looking at the, the action plan for the round, just um, some, some really simple yet effective um, uh, strategies in, in place at, uh, for, for players and, and for coaches to, to help uh, spread the message and, and I guess, uh, assist the, the, the foundation and just things like shaking the opponent's hand before the game, um, wearing the, the yellow armband to, to remember, Pat. They're just little things that, that really can go a long way. Yeah, I think so, Samuel. Uh, you know, look, it, it, it's interesting. I'm a, I'm a mad Richmond supporter, as you're probably aware, as as Pat was as well. And I, I really admire the way that Richmond's gone about their footy over the last four or five years. 
But, you know, one thing that always took my eye when I'd go to the, the footy is to watch the players uh, who would shake their hand, you know, the, uh, the the hand of the opponent before they before the start of the game. You know, there's often a lot of argy-bargy and, you know, one, one trying to get on top of the other by bumping in or, you know, jumper punching or whatever it might be. But, you know, I, I really admire the players who, who go up, you know, not, not just at the end of the game, because generally that, you know, everyone's happy to shake hands at the end of the game. But to me, I think it's a great way of respect. And, you know, look your opponent in the eye, shake their hand and wish them all the best for the game, but go hard. Because that's the way Pat played. You know, he loved his footy. He, you know, he's a courageous young player. And, but he, he played tough, but he played fair. And I think that's a great message that we can, you know, you shake the hand before the game, but you also shake the hand after the game and say, you know, well done to whoever wins. We've also seen the wristbands, which have been such a success uh, right throughout uh, the the northern community as well, and and the beanies that are available for for people to purchase as well. I know from from the foundation's point of view, unfortunately, you've had to postpone the, the... ball that you have uh, annually because of uh, I guess yep. the uh, the latest lockdown as well but um, if there are other initiatives that uh, people can get involved in can you just give us an update as to how they can support the, the Pat Cronin Foundation? Yeah yeah well we, as you said you mentioned the wristbands and the beanies that's something that you know people can jump online uh, if a club wants to sell a box of wristbands just send us a message or they want to get a few beanies to you know to put behind the bar when they're you know, selling some stubby holders and things like that. You know, just send us a message and we'll be able to get something out to the, the locals. Um, on the ball, you know, the ball was supposed to be last Saturday night and unfortunately, again, because of the latest lockdown, we've, we've pushed it down the road, but it's only six weeks away. Um, Melbourne Town Hall is where we're having the ball. It's going to be a fantastic night and, you know, we're looking forward to having over 400 people come along and uh, be entertained by... The Shantuzies. Um, so showing my age there a bit, Samuel. You might be too young to remember the Shantuzies, but um, for those of us who've uh, you know got kids, um, you know, Shantuzies were a great uh, girl band in the 1980s, and um, looking forward to having them as our main act. And one that's uh, generally held later in the year, but the Walk to the Valley. I know we're probably a, a yep. little while from there, but uh, how's planning going for that for the 2021 yeah, yeah, edition? <laughs> Yeah, look, look. Even through COVID last year, we had you know we had to uh, improvise, and we didn't have the walk to the valley last year. We couldn't have our mass walk on on, on you know because of numbers, but we did have a, an alternative which was called the walk to anywhere. So yeah, that was a great success. We ended up having over twelve hundred people you know, literally walking in circles. I think in some cases. So, uh, but walking walking all around the place, right across Melbourne, across Australia. So. Um, at, at this stage, um, yeah, we're we're on track to have the the, the walk to the valley. Uh, I think it's the twenty first of November, which will be a Sunday. We'll make sure that we get the the, the message out to the Northern Footy Club um, community out there uh, as we as we get close, because you know those who've done it in the past, you know, it's a fantastic walk from you know the Heidelberg Footy Ground to the Lower Plenty Footy Ground. Plenty of entertainment and music and uh, refreshments and and the like at the end. And it is a great way for, you know, families to get together as well and just really send a, a, a strong message that, you know, look, as a community, we're just, we're just so against violence. No, no one, no one in their right mind wants to have violence in their community. So, you know, I think the footy, footy community has really led the way in this, this regard. And, you know, the, the walk to the valley is a, is a great way for people to rally around the cause. Well, Matt, we appreciate your time. Uh, as we said from the outset, it's a, it's a great weekend on the NFNL calendar. We're extremely proud to support the Pat Cronin, Cronin Foundation and uh, obviously very proud of all the work that you've done uh, uh, since 2016 on, on the campaign as well. So uh, we look forward to supporting you this weekend and we uh, look forward to all of, all of our clubs getting right behind and, and supporting the F- Pat Cronin Foundation, not only this weekend, but, but right throughout the 2021 campaign. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Samuel. And before signing off on this week's edition of the NFL podcast, Jared and Nick, um, just a look ahead to the weekend that is, and we're hoping everything goes through uninterrupted, and if anything, we're hoping to be back in a, in a greater capacity, but um, just uh, your look at the weekend and perhaps a game that, uh, that catches your eye. Yeah, I'll start off in looking in Division 2 and Altham up against Thomas Town. These two sides pretty evenly matched it. They get 6-3 and three at the moment apiece, so just separated by perspective by percentage and looking to for that top three spot. Um, 
when they last met in, I think it's or the split round of round one, it was Thomas Town who got up by nine points. So a very close affair there, and um, this one will be at Altham's home ground. So it's a really interesting one, and I can't wait to see who gets up in that, in that one. Uh, I'll head to Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3 between Heidelberg, Western Kilmore, and we, we sort of spoke about the importance of this game coming into it with, you know, Old Eltham Collegians coming up against Reservoir. You, you feel like they're going to get the points there, so it's very imperative for for Heidelberg West to continue that top four charge. They, they, they got belted by 70 points against Kilmore earlier in the season in round four, so they'll be really looking to make amends and ensure that that doesn't happen again, and, and, and a result in that game on Saturday might really pay dividends for them in, in securing, that, securing that final spot and um, even pushing a challenge further down the track. So that's a pretty intriguing one. Yeah, of course, for Heidelberg West, it's been such a long drought. So this is a, a mini-final in itself, isn't it? They win that one, and yep. they're well on their way. Um, I guess from my front, we'll, v- broadly, we, what I want to see is crowds at, uh, at games <laughs> as well. So we want a full complement of, of netball on, on Friday night, and to be able to, to host those, I guess, for, from a netball perspective, I guess we are anticipating that even if we can play all games, Probably can't have spectators in, if depending on what the capacity is going to be. But first and foremost, want to be able to get all the players back on the court and, and doing what they love. So what I want to see is uh, packed down netball courts and, and every court being utilised this weekend. Um, from a football point of view, I think there's a, a couple of big ones. I mean, we mentioned um, uh, during the, the course of the the, uh, the podcast, but uh, always love a, a top of the table clash, and we'll see that in, in Mervac Division One women. So uh, VU Western Spurs at home to Diamond Creek Women's. The Creek is still undefeated. VU will they're starting with uh, to make their charge now. They've pushed up to second on their home patch. Point to prove having lost early in the year to, to Diamond Creek. Can they be the one to, to end that unbeaten streak in what's also a grand final rematch and and um, from the men's football side of things, we um, we talked about Montmorency early in the program, starting to, to make their charge now. They're into the top five. They've won their last three games. And there's no bigger challenge probably than travelling to, to J.E. Moore Park to take on the two-time reigning Premier in West Preston Lakeside. So we'll see whether Montmorency is able to uh, to do what very few sides have been able to do in recent times, and uh, that's defeat the Roosters on their home patch. So that should be a, a great game as well. Of course, we look forward to supporting the Pat Cronin Foundation this weekend. We encourage all clubs to, to get behind and, and spread the message as well, booking a, a session and have the presentation as well uh, with uh, Matt Cronin and Steve Lake and the team at the Pat Cronin Foundation. So to everyone that's tuned in, we appreciate you doing so. We look forward to, fingers crossed, having everyone at the uh, football and, and hopefully the netball this weekend as well. So thank you and do enjoy your week of NFNL action. You've been listening to the NFNL podcast.